Thank you for listening to this week's podcast from Victory Baptist Church in Hope Mills, North Carolina. I pray that God uses this message to help you worship God, strengthen your relationship, and glorify Him. Without further ado, here is this week's message. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you again for the opportunity and the freedom that we have to come here to worship you. Now, Lord, as we open your word, I pray, God, that you will give us a humility to seek you in, in this word. Give us the humility to, to know that this word is about you, Lord. It's, it's, it's all about you. And I just pray, God, that you will help us to grow closer to you through this. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, before I get going too much, um, I woke up. Uh, it was about 11 o'clock last night. I woke up coughing. I don't know, got strangled or something. I just, I couldn't stop coughing. And I had to leave the bedroom because I didn't want to wake everybody up. And then still trying not to cough too loud because we don't have a big house. And I can cough pretty loud sometimes. And trying not to wake everybody up. And this morning, it's still kind of itchy, scratchy. I'm coughing a lot. And I don't, hopefully my voice will make it all the way through. But it's not feeling very strong right now. Um, but we're going to go ahead and jump into this, Maybe. There we go. All right, we are continuing our uh, series in the book of Ephesians, and we're calling it Live Worthy of Your Calling. Um, this comes right from Ephesians uh, chapter 4, verse 1, where he says, Therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, urge you to live worthy of the calling you have received. Now, I picked this. Well, not necessarily I picked this. I think that is kind of the purpose statement in the book of Ephesians, because when we look at uh, the evidence in the book, it seems like the, the Ephesian, the city, of Ephesus, the, the non-believers there were telling the Ephesians that they could, they could be Christians, they, they could believe in the gospel, and they, and they could uh, you know, worship Jesus, but they just kind of needed to keep it to themselves. And, and for the most part, they kind of needed to act like Ephesians. Not, they, don't, they shouldn't stick out. Uh, but Paul tells them, no, that's not how that works. That when you place your faith in Jesus, and when you believe in the gospel, that impacts every area of your life. Now, we live in a, in a culture that's very similar to that. Um, uh, our American culture right now tells us that we can believe in the gospel and, and we, can, um, <clears throat> we can worship God, we can go to church, but we just, we just kind of need to keep it to ourselves, and it shouldn't impact our life that much. We should still be Americans. Well, you know, when we think about American Christians, that, that Christian aspect is a whole lot more important than whether we're American or, or Mexican or whether we're anywhere else, that American aspect, or sorry, that Christian aspect of it is more important because the gospel affects every aspect of our life. Um, now, there's another problem that the Ephesians were facing. You know, on the one hand, you had the non-Christian Ephesians telling the Ephesian Christians that they needed to act like Ephesians. But then on the other hand, you had the Jewish Christians telling the Ephesian Christians that they needed to act like Jews. And they, they were kind of uh, like a second-class citizen sort of, of, of thing going on. And Paul says, no, that's not the case. You don't need to act like Ephesians. You don't need to act like Jews. You need to act like Christians. You need to let the gospel impact every area of your life. They're not second-class Christians, but full members of the family of God. And so this morning, um, we're in chapter 3. We're starting chapter 3, and this is verses 1 through 7. And I'm entitling this Special Delivery. Because we see the main idea in this passage is that Paul is God's gospel delivery man. <clears throat> that kind of plays out in three, in three areas, and that's the administration of God's grace, the mystery of Christ, and the Gentiles are co-heirs. So we'll go ahead and jump right into our passage. Starting in verse 1, it says, For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, 
You have heard, haven't you, about the administration of God's grace that he gave to me for you. The mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have briefly written above. By reading this, you are able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ. So Paul starts off by saying, for this reason. Well, in order to understand what this passage is talking about, we must understand what Paul is referring to when he says, this reason. Well, the clue comes in later when he says, as I have briefly written above. So for this reason, as I have briefly written above. Well, he's referring to what he just got done writing. Um, at the end of chapter 2, uh, so our sermon last week, I'm going to give you a little recap from the sermon last week. Uh, it was verses, or chapter 2, verses 11 to 22, and the main idea was that Jesus brings racial reconciliation. The reconciliation comes from the fact that we recognize that all people suffer from the same problem, and that's sin. All people, no matter what background you come from, no matter where you lived or how much money you have, we all suffer from the same problem, and that's sin. All people, because of that same problem, deserve the same punishment. But Jesus died for all people. Therefore, all people have access to salvation through Jesus' sacrifice. Now, if you're here this morning and have not placed your faith in Jesus' life, death, and resurrection for your salvation, then you can change that today because you are included in that category of all that Jesus loved and that category of all that Jesus died for. So if you're willing to receive salvation through Jesus this morning, it's simple. Romans 10.9 tells us, If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. All you have to do is admit that you're a sinner, believe that Jesus died for you, and then he rose from the dead. Then through prayer, invite Jesus to come in and be your Lord. So all believers... All believers, no matter their race or background or any other demographic, are equal members in the kingdom of God. This was an important message that, uh, that Paul taught everywhere he went because Jews, well, even Jewish Christians, uh, they would often see Gentile believers as second-class citizens or second-class believers because they did not come from a Jewish background. Now, Paul says that Gentile believers are equal heirs in the kingdom of God because Jesus' death paid it all. And there was no Old Testament law that they could have done or that they should do to make their salvation any more or any better. There's no way that they can, there's no, nothing they can do to earn their salvation more. Because salvation is a gift, and, and we can't earn a gift. If you earn a gift, then it's not a gift anymore. Now that's what this, this that Paul is talking about, that, that he's referring to throughout this whole passage this morning. When you, hear, when you see Paul say this or this reason, that's what he's referring to. So this is a continuation of that teaching. And then as I was reading through this, oops, I went too far. No, I didn't. Um, as I kept reading, um, the, the phrase, the administration of God's grace that uh, he gave to me for you. That word administration, as I read through that, I was like, that kind of seems like a weird word to use there. And it seems like it might be kind of in the wrong place. But Paul is referring to his calling. You see, he was called to take the gospel to the Gentiles. Uh, and we read about this in Paul's testimony. Uh, Paul gives his testimony in Acts 22, uh, and we can read a little bit more about this. Uh, starting in verse 6, he says, As I was traveling and approaching Damascus, about noon, an intense light from heaven suddenly flashed around me. I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? I answered, Who are you, Lord? He said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, the one you are persecuting. Now those who were with me saw the light, but they did not hear the voice of the one who was speaking to me. I said, sorry, 
I said, What should I do, Lord? The Lord, came to, uh, the Lord told me, Get up and go into Damascus, and there you will be told everything that you have been assigned to do. Since I couldn't see because of the brightness of the light, I was led by the hand by those who were with me and went into Damascus. Someone named Ananias, a, de a devout man, according to the law, who had a good reputation with all the Jews living there, came and stood by me and said, Brother Saul, regain your sight. And in that very hour I looked up and saw him. And he said, The God of our ancestors has appointed you to know his will, to see the righteous one, and to hear the words from his mouth, since you will be a witness for him to all the people uh, of what you have seen and heard. And now, why are you delaying? Get up and be baptized, and wash away your sins, calling on his name. Then I returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple. I fell into a trance and saw him telling me, Hurry and get, up, get out of Jerusalem quickly, because they will not accept your testimony about me. But I said, Lord, they know that in synagogue after synagogue, I had those who believed in, in you imprisoned and beaten. And when the blood of your witness Stephen was being shed, I stood there giving approval and guarding the clothes of those who killed him. He said to me, go, because I will send you far away to the Gentiles. See, right there in that last verse, we get to see that Jesus tells Paul, that he is going to go to the Gentiles. He's going to take the message of salvation. He's going to take the gospel to the Gentiles. Paul's mission is to tell the gospel to the Gentiles. So coming back to our main passage this morning, the administration of God's grace. Again, honestly, that word administration still seems a little weird. So I did a little research into the Greek. Um, and I'm not a Greek scholar by any means, so I did, but I did look into this a little bit. And that word translated as administration is actually used nine times in the New Testament. Three of those are in Jesus' parable of the dishonest manager, and the other six are used in Paul's writings. So this word here is used to describe the management or oversight of someone else's property. Right? This would be an administrator, somebody who is uh, managing somebody else's property. So, as I, as I, uh, sorry, Paul is saying that God has entrusted him to deliver God's grace to the Gentiles through the preaching of the gospel. So, Paul is in charge here. He has been given the charge of managing this grace. And by managing it, he's given the, the responsibility of taking it to the Gentile world. It's not Paul's grace. It's God's grace. But God gave Paul the responsibility to take it to them. Now, as I studied this, I couldn't help but to see the parallel with our modern church. See, God has given us grace. But it's not for us to keep to ourselves, but to give it to those around us who are not believers. Now, for many, many years, our country could have been compared to Jerusalem in the New Testament, where you had sort of a, a cultural Christianity. Um, There's a cultural understanding of God's teachings and a general respect for them, and even a cultural advantage of being part of the church. However, that day is fading, and in many parts of the country, that day is gone. As a general understanding of, or sorry, a general understanding of and preference for biblical truth is fading in favor of a more secular worldview. Even in a place like Hope Mills, there are thousands of people who come from an unchurched background. There's people who do not know the Bible. They don't have a, a church background to fall back on, just a general understanding of the Bible. Thousands of people here in this town come from an unchurched background. So we want to act like Paul and deliver the gospel to these people. We don't want to act like the, Judea, the Judaizers who Paul often rebuked for adding unnecessary cultural baggage to the gospel. But I know how easy it can be to add our understanding of church culture uh, and to our expectations of salvation. 
We expect, we expect people to dress a certain way, or to talk a certain way, or to hang out at certain places, or maybe even be a part of a certain political party in order to really say that they're saved. But none of those things, none of those things change how someone becomes a Christian. It's only about the gospel. Salvation is only about faith in Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. And that's why Paul calls it the mystery of Christ. See, in our mind, good things must be earned. We're taught that from school. We're taught that at home. We're taught that when we're growing up. We're taught it in our paychecks, and we're taught it in the stuff that we buy. Good stuff has to be earned. In this, cult, in this country, we like this idea so much that we call it the American dream. Basically, the American dream says that no matter what background you come from, if you work hard enough and play by the rules, mostly, then you can grow up to, to be whatever you want to be. You can grow up and, and earn as much money as you want or buy as much stuff as you want, but you've got to work hard and you've got to kind of play by the rules. But that's not what the gospel says. This is, but that's the same basic idea that flows through all non-Christian religion. If you work hard enough or do enough good or please the right God or achieve some other level of awesomeness, then you can earn your reward or your eternal peace or universal harmony or whatever that idea is that they have in that religion. All other religions are about do to earn. The problem with that is that we can't do enough good to outdo our bad. We can't stop sinning. See, Christianity is different. It's not about do to earn. It's about done and given. Other religions are about trying to earn our way to the gods. But Christianity is about God coming down to us. God knew we couldn't earn our salvation, but he loved us anyway. So he came down and he earned it for us. He lived the perfect life that we couldn't live. He died on the cross so that he could pay the penalty for our sin. Then he was raised again on the third day to show his power over death and to provide salvation for us. We can't earn salvation, but God did. And he's willing simply to give it to all humanity uh, when they place their faith in him. See, Christianity is not about do to earn because God already did. God already earned it. Christianity is not about do to earn. It's about done and given. It's a gift of salvation, that gift that's given to us. That's why Paul calls the gospel the mystery of Christ, because it goes against our general understanding of the way things are supposed to be. So Paul is the administrator or manager of the mystery of Christ. That means it's his job to take this wonderful, beautiful, dangerous, scandalous, amazing story about a God who loved sinful people so much that he would come and die for them to give them salvation. It's his job to take that story, to the, Jew, uh, the, the story of that God of the Jews to the Gentiles for their salvation, to the non-Jews. But if we keep reading, it gets even more interesting. He says, This was not made known to people in other generations, as it is now revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. The Gentiles are co-heirs, members of the same body, and partners in the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I was made a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace that was given to me by, working, by the working of his power. He says, This was not made known to people in other generations. What Paul is saying is that Previously, before Jesus came, or even before Paul's ministry, the Jews really focused on their own relationship with God to the neglect of other nations. After all, they were chosen by God in the Old Testament to have a special relationship and a, a special provision by God. But if we go back to the Abrahamic covenant, where that all starts, if we go back there, we notice something interesting about it. So we're going back to Genesis 12. 
The Lord said to Abram, Go out from your land, your relatives and your father's house, to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse anyone who treats you with contempt. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. What we see is that God does promise to have a special relationship with Abraham's descendants, who would eventually be the Jews. He promises to bless them and to protect them. But this wasn't just for them. Look at the end of verse 3. God tells Abram that all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. See, the Abrahamic covenant was not just for Abraham and his descendants. The whole world would be blessed through them. Now, the main way that that blessing comes is through Abraham's most famous descendant, as Jesus. Jesus, the present, or through Jesus, the presence, protection, and provision of God are available to all people. Now, that's not the only time that is hinted that non-Jews would be included in the kingdom of God. That's not the only time we see that in the Old Testament. We see that throughout the New Testament. But one that I came across this week in my personal Bible reading was from Daniel 7. Um, This is from Daniel's vision of the end times. He says, As I continued watching in the night visions, and suddenly one like a son of man was coming with the clouds of heaven, he approached the Ancient of Days and was escorted before him. He was given dominion and glory and a kingdom, so that those of every people, nation, and language should should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will not be destroyed. See right there in the middle of verse 14. Every people, nation, and language should serve him. See, though we can look through the Old Testament and see it, apparently the inclusion of the Gentiles was not common belief in New Testament Judaism. For some reason, we can look back there and see it, but they, um, most, people, most Jews in that time couldn't see that. I don't know if that's kind of a, a hindsight as 2020 type of thing, or if that's because we're reading through the lens of the Holy Spirit and He's showing that to us. But for some reason, that was not common belief in that time, that the Gentiles would be included. But if we keep reading, we see that Gentiles are not merely included, uh, sort of as a second-class citizen, but that they are, full, they are made full-blown members. It says the Gentiles are co-heirs, members of the same body, and partners in the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Now, these people who were previously excluded from the promises and relationship with God, they are now included. They are now included in, uh, in, in God's covenantal blessing. These strangers are invited to the banquet, not to eat the scraps that fell on the floor, or not just to eat the leftovers, or not to act as the waitstaff, but to partake in the fullness of God's blessing. The strangers are invited to the banquet. They are members of the same body. Now, putting this into our, our context, see, those people outside the church, often, they act totally different from us. Those who we think don't deserve God's grace sometimes. Those people who make us uncomfortable. Those people who look, act, and talk differently than us. Salvation is equally available. We have to stop thinking in terms of us and them. Salvation, or sorry, sin is an all-of-us problem. And salvation is an all-of-us opportunity. It's an offer for all of us. See, Jesus died for all of us. Let us not forget that we were outsiders at one point too. And God has included us. He has invited us in the feast because of his son's death on the cross. And Paul finishes this up. He says, I was made a servant of this gospel. Now, typically, when I'm reading through the Bible, especially in the New Testament, when I see the word servant, um, especially in Paul's writings, I think of the word, uh, the Greek word doulos. Like I said, I'm not a Greek scholar, uh, but 
the word doulos could probably be better translated as slave. And that's what I thought when I saw this, when he said, I was made a servant of this gospel. That word doulos, we see Paul use frequently in the introduction of his letters when you see him saying, uh, I, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus. A lot of times that's the word doulos, and he's literally saying, I, Paul, a slave of Christ Jesus, that he has placed himself under Jesus' lordship because he knows that slavery to Jesus is better than freedom to anything else. There is more freedom in being a slave to Jesus than there is in being uh, free to become a slave to our sins, basically. And so I thought that's the word that Paul was using here, but I'm glad I actually looked it up because that's not the word that Paul uses here. It's the word diakonos, which actually means, wait for it, servant. It's like, oh, they got that one right. Well, actually, we shouldn't be surprised when the translators get the translations right. Um, the, so this diakonos, this word servant, it's actually the same word that we translate as deacon or where we get our idea of deacons from. Now, without getting too deep into the Greek study, uh, like I said, I'm not a Greek scholar, but the word diakonos could also mean to kick up dust as one running an errand. Right? It carries this idea that you're in a hurry to get a job done. You're in a hurry to get this job done because you want to please your master. So that's why I got this, the title from this sermon, Special Delivery. And the main idea is the, the, the idea that Paul is God's delivery man. Because God has given Paul a mission to do. And he is kicking up dust and, and getting it done as, as, as quickly and efficiently and, and effectively as possible. See, the word diakonos carries the idea that the servant is not a lazy servant, but one who is moving along quickly and working hard to accomplish the task. Now, if that doesn't describe Paul, I don't know what does especially when you throw in the word administrator, that, that idea, when you put that in with it. See, Paul is running an errand for God. He's got a delivery from God to the Gentiles. The delivery is a beautiful gift of salvation through the gospel. Now, it's a, another kind of analogy that I thought about as I was reading through this and looking, uh, studying this. How many of you have ever seen the movie Outbreak? It came out in 1995. Not a whole lot. All right. Now, I told Hannah, I'm not going to give a spoiler alert for a 25-year-old movie, but spoiler alert. Okay. So in this movie, Outbreak, Dustin Hoffman, he's a doctor with USAMRID. That's the United States Army Medical Research for Infectious Disease. Um, and then his wife, um, Rene Russo, is a doctor with the CDC. And then Cuba Gooding Jr., he's... Uh, He's a soldier. He's kind of under Dustin Hoffman's leadership. Um, and so what happens is they both, uh, Dustin Hoffman and Rene Russo, end up working an infectious outbreak in a small town in California. And eventually, she gets sick. She, she gets this disease that they're working to, to you know, they're, they're fighting against. And she's, her and the whole town are on the verge of death. There have been people dying left and right in this town. And she's on the verge of death. And at the last minute, Dustin Hoffman finds the cure and he gives it to Cuba Gooding Jr. to administer to his wife and tons more people waiting to get this cure. See, in this example, Cuba Gooding Jr. is Paul, right? Because God gave Paul the cure, and he said, go take this to the people, right? In this example, Dustin Hoffman is, is God. That's kind of a scary thought. Uh, and Rene Russo is the Gentiles, and the cure is the gospel. So again, let's put this into our context. God has given us a task to make disciples of all nations, all people groups. So let's take a cue from Paul and kick up some dust. Let's get to it and make haste by sharing the gospel with those around us, even those who are not like us. Now, I know a few weeks ago I kind of said it sounds like I'm already in the application, so let's get to it. And the same thing's happening now. It sounds like I'm already in the application, so let's get to it.
Um, that application always comes down to knowing, being, and doing. So first is to know that you are called to be saved. See, God's plan for you is peace and love. But we don't have peace and love in this life because of our sin. And our sin separates us from God, and it takes us out of God's plan. And no matter what we do, we can't fix it. We only make things worse. But Jesus came to make a way for our peace to be restored. He came and died for us so that he could take the penalty of our sin. He drank God's wrath, and he drank it to the fullest. If you call out to him in faith, then you can be saved. And if you are ready to accept him in a little bit, when we have our time of response, please come forward and talk to me or find me after service and talk to me. The second application point is to be an administrator of God's grace. God didn't give you grace so that you could just keep it to yourself. He gave you grace so that you could share it with those around you. We're supposed to share it with those around us. God has called you to make disciples of all nations, all people groups, even those who live right next to us. God has called us to make disciples of all people groups, even those people who we work with, even those people, those strange people that live in our house. God has called us to make disciples of all people. And finally, the do application, I'm going to say kick up some dust. Kick up some dust running this errand for God. There are lots of different ways that we can apply this, but one of them would be to attend the Christian Life and Witness class on Tuesday. You want to uh, learn how to make disciples, you want to be more comfortable in sharing the gospel, that's one way to do it. Another way would be to invite people to come to Festival Park on October 1st for this Decision America tour. It doesn't have to be those specific events, though. You can pray for those around you who do not know Jesus. That's always a good place to start. Pray that God will give you the opportunity to share the gospel with them. Invite your friends to church. Lots of ways to, applic to applicate. There's a lot of ways to apply this kick up some dust. But whatever you do, do something to deliver God's message to the lost around you. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for the grace that you've given us. It truly is amazing grace. Lord, we know that we don't deserve it. We can't deserve it. There's nothing we can do to earn our salvation. When we look at our life and we see our sin, we know that we fall short of your glory. But you love us anyway. You love us anyway. And you sent your son to die for our sins. Lord, we thank you for that. We call out to you daily for faith. We call out to you daily for, for life and for strength. God, I pray that you will help us not to keep this grace to, ourself, to ourselves, but to share it with those around us. Share it with those who don't know you, Lord. Help us, Lord, to share it with everyone around us. God, help us to, to quit procrastinating and to make some haste and to get, to get busy doing it. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you again for listening to this week's message. If you would like to know more information about our church, please visit VictoryBaptistHopeMills.com or Facebook.com slash VBCHopeMills. I would also like to ask that you rate and review this podcast. And if you found this sermon helpful, please share it.